Hello and welcome to Conversations with Writers. Talking to writers about what drives them to tell their stories. Author Sarah Bailey launched herself into the publishing stratosphere four years ago with her breakout international hit, The Dark Lake, telling a claustrophobic murder story of a broken detective stuck in a small, broken town. Since then, Sarah continues to receive emotional and often very entertaining emails from fans concerned by the behaviour of her lead character, Detective Gemma Woodstock. Detective Woodstock's story seems to have come to an end with the third and proposed final book, Where the Dead Go, published very recently. In conversation, we discuss the challenges of expectations upon a selfish female lead, the narrative drivers of grief and guilt, and the value of having your children defend your five-star reviews. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for joining me. Hello. Thank you for having me. Sarah, my first real question for you is, when did you write your first murder? Uh, I think... Probably only a couple of years ago, I started a, um, a book uh, that is as yet unfinished and it was a crime story. So that had a, well, it had a potential murder in it, but I suppose you're not quite sure which is the premise of the book. Uh, so that was the first. And then, yeah, since then there's been many fictional murders in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but as a child, when you were looking at writing, because writing's always been a, an interest of yours since you were very, very young, you weren't ever inclined to write sort of darker and more dangerous stories? What were you writing back then? No, not really when I was young. Um, I, I don't think that the things I used to write were particularly dark or even necessarily crime. I wrote quite a lot of um, short stories in high school and things like that, but they were actually sort of um, just more mainstream fiction, um, even some comedy. So, yeah, crime was something that kind of um, snuck in later in life, although I've always really enjoyed reading it. So that's certainly been a constant since I was quite young. Prior to publishing The Dark Lake, you self-published a book of short stories. And interestingly enough, I've heard you say that it allowed you, it gave you confidence to write the darker themes, the more brutal moments and scenes that sort of informed some of the published work you've had. Why was that important to you and why do you think you got the confidence from those moments? I think writing short stories did two things. One, it gave me the confidence to be able to finish something. Um, I think writing a book is obviously quite a big task and it can be really overwhelming um, to sort of think about how many words you still have to finish off and how you're going to maintain the story over such a long period of time. So I think the idea of short, sharp stories was incredibly appealing because it felt like you could beginning, middle, end, um, set back and, and think that is done. So that was really important, I think, for me from a confidence perspective. And then I think it also was... Um, just a way of being comfortable with people I know reading what I've written. I think there is this strange fear that you have that when you write things, people will instantly think that it's a diary or some kind of memoir, even if it's quite far from your everyday life. So I think I had 14 short stories that I um, wrote in a little sort of collection and they were so wildly different that I felt like people would go okay it can't be that they're all, <laughs> they're all they can't all be relevant to her real life right so um, the first 10 and then the four were your alibi that's right yeah me, exactly they're me. hidden in there somewhere but um yeah I think getting getting confident with people reading your work is is 
a strange psychological hurdle that you do have to overcome. So that was important, I think, with those stories as well. It's an interesting thing that you wrote a lot of comedy and lighter drama pieces. Do you therefore feel that you've stumbled into crime? You seem to struggle a little bit with this idea that you're a crime author. Yeah, I mean, I still find it quite funny, really. Like I was on a panel yesterday at the the Bad Crime Sydney Festival and, you know, every now and again you do sort of think it's very strange to be in this position having written three detective stories. It's just not – it was never a goal, I suppose – Um, The only sort of goal I had was to finish a book Uh, and it's sort of, yeah, I did sort of, I think, stumble into this genre somewhat and um, now I'm sort of on these, you know, panels sometimes with these amazing crime writers and I'm asked all these questions about crime writing and I don't feel fraudulent exactly but it is just quite a bizarre plot twist of my own, I suppose. (laughs) The books themselves are very much police procedurals, so they are really about the process of tracking down who the killer is, more so than a lot of other crime fiction pieces which are about the murderer. Um, Do you think some of that might be related to your background? Your background is in advertising, but not so much on the creative side, but from the, the business and the strategy side. And, of course, strategy is all about a blueprint to influence and laying down this, then this, then this causes this reaction. Does that connect to why you're interested in the process of police procedurals? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. But I think I do like the more procedural style of storytelling. It just seems to be where my brain is sort of drawn to. So I would love to write a thriller which is, you know, completely sort of unstructured in, in the traditional sense. I read a lot of them. I think they're amazing Um, I love the way they can sort of play with voices from different characters and um, bring in sort of really experimental sort of um, fictional um, structures. But I think that I am just more suited to writing that more procedural style of book. Um, I have tried to write other things, um, only sort of small attempts, I suppose. And the book of short stories was quite experimental in terms of structure. But, yeah, I think in terms of a whole book, maybe it gives me enough of a plan that I can actually write to it. Um, I do find writing quite hard. It's not something that is really easy for me. So I think that structure really helps, helps me sort of get to the next step in, in each book that I start much of advertising is built around small, short chunks of storytelling. Again, does that has, do you think that's trained you to think that way when you're doing your own work? I think... Advertising has probably trained me to be efficient. So um, I don't like like you said. I, I'm not in the creative side of the business, so I don't I don't come up with the concepts. I don't write the ads, but I do provide a lot of feedback on them, and I do um, I guess help the creative teams um, unpack strategically what we're trying to say, and then sort of be the mediator between the client and the creative and try to work to a resolution. So I'm. I think I'm quite pragmatic. I definitely have seen ideas be improved by feedback. So I don't tend to react too badly to editorial feedback. I'm quite able to sort of cop it, process it and get on with it. It doesn't bother me that people pick apart my work. It's frustrating and the thought of having to rewrite is is um, not necessarily an enjoyable one, but I'm sort of quite grittily determined I suppose and I and I know it's inevitable so I don't t- spend too much time wallowing but I do think that um yeah the the advertising world's very quick 
Um, things move fast. Um, things happen quite quickly. You have to be able to change quite quickly. So I think it probably has helped me become quite efficient. So when I do sit down to write a book, I'm kind of like, right, let's let's get this thing written. I don't. The thought of writing something for five years just com- is not at all something that I'm interested in. Do you think it's also taught you that idea that you are going to have to lose good ideas because advertising sort of churns through ideas so often and, and within the same meeting often, you know, within five minutes you can kill ten great ideas or more? Yes, I think so. Um, yeah, I think that comes back to the pragmatism thing. Um, there is always many, many ways to skin a cat in, in creative um, sort of worlds. So I don't tend to get too hung up on um, feedback I've received from my editors uh, and I don't tend to sort of try to hang on to things that I guess deep down I can see where they're coming from. So I do move quite quickly past ideas and kill things quite quickly. Um, I don't have many regrets when it comes to my writing. I speak to a lot of writers who um, are really frustrated by changes that they've had to make um, and take it really sort of personally. I can be pretty good at disassociating myself from my work and the feedback. Um, it's just a project, I guess, and I can see that they're doing their job. The agenda's the same as mine to come out with a good book. So, yeah, I think I'm. I'm it's not so much a toughness; it's just a inevitability that I'm quick to get to. Yeah, it seems to be something I've found with a lot of ex-journalists as well who have become authors. There's an understanding that everybody gets rewritten and therefore you're always handing it over to someone else within the business who's going to provide an idea. And Is there anything you've ever died in a ditch on that you've really decided, no, this is the one I'm going This idea I have to keep, I must keep. Uh, yes, and I think that's it's good because when you do have a really clear reaction to a piece of feedback, because I am quite pragmatic, I kind of know, right, this must be something that's really worth um, fighting for. Um, just like at work as well, I think I'm quite clear on the things where I sort of go, no, this is a deal breaker and I, and I can see that the idea will die if we don't keep that element of it. So there was a, there was a few pieces of feedback, um, mainly in the Dark Lake, where uh, someone had a point of view on um, the main character having a child or not and I really put my foot down and sort of said no I'm not changing that for me the whole premise of the book is um, strengthened by the fact that she has a child and that she has to navigate balancing that part of her world with her work um, as a detective so her not being a mother is a deal breaker for me Um, and I think that was definitely the right choice I would have I'm sure regretted that a lot if I had have changed it Um, But there was other things, um, feedback about the ending, feedback about um, someone dying that ended up not being dead in the book, and I can now see that that was a really good decision to make. So, yeah, I think you have to go with your gut feeling when something seems, something does not sit well with you and you have to fight for that. Um, But I think you do need to um, ask yourself if there's 10 pieces of feedback and they all feel like they're worth fighting for, then maybe you might need to step back from your book and kind of have a think about it from a different perspective. We should say that that core element of the character is for your lead character, Gemma Woodstock, Detective Gemma Woodstock, who's featured in all three books to date. It's interesting that the suggestion that she wouldn't have a child because that has ended up playing such a key role as defining her. And also the themes of reading all three books, there's probably two themes they seem to address constantly, which is one of guilt and one of grief. 
So I'd like to sort of talk about that a little bit if we can. So initially, when building the character of Gemma, did you know that guilt was going to play a key role as far as how she functions and what drives her forward? Yes, I think she from the start was a tortured character. Uh, so I think that was definitely part of her DNA. Um, she's had a lot of, um, you know, challenges in her personal life when we uh, first introduced to her in the dark lake so that feeling of being torn is sort of evident from you know chapter one I guess and so I think for me that's why the the sort of the idea of taking that um that parental role away from her kind of makeup was was so wrong because yeah she struggles with it like every day um, and it does, as you say, end up being quite an um, arc in the trilogy. Um, I guess I wasn't to know then what kind of role that would play, but it certainly ended up being something that has continued to be explored in the books. Um, and I think her guilt and her grief are tied quite closely together. Um, she lost two um, people in her youth that were really important to her. So I think she feels quite guilty about one of those deaths um, and then just sort of more generally sad about the other. And then she works in a world where people are losing loved ones all the time and they react in really different ways that she feels, um, I think, certain um, judgment around based on her own personal experience, which I guess is what everyone does. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is I think, um, a kind of a new era of detective writing where their feelings are very much... Um, exposed for the reader to navigate as well as the crimes that they're investigating. You've spoken previously about the influence of Paulina Simon's book Tully upon you and what a, how important that was to you as one of your sort of favourite books. What other sources really have perhaps informed the character of Gemma and also why you wanted to write, as you, in your own terms, such a tortured character? Um, look, I think it's it's funny when you're creating characters because so much of it's unconscious like you don't I think well I certainly don't sit down and and map out a character and and sort of um, think about particular um, characteristics or personality traits it, it is so much more organic than that but I guess um, I've always really enjoyed reading and yeah Tully is one of my favorite books and I think just that character came alive on the pages so vividly for me when I first read that book I don't know I would have been about 15 or 16 years old I think um, and she was so complicated and um, appealing but not always likeable and didn't always make the best decisions but yet you could sort of understand all of the decisions that she did make and how stuck she'd gotten herself in her own life. Um, I mean, I love Gone with the Wind. I love Scarlett O'Hara. I just think she's such an amazing character. Um, and even, I guess, um, you know, Patricia Cornwall's case, Scarpetta, who was sort of an older um, woman in the start of that series and then has grown into a, a much older woman. She was not sort of tortured so much, but I think just, again, her relationships with her co-workers and her family were quite complicated and they were always evolving. They were never sort of stagnant. And I, I guess that's just, for me, what great literature is all about. You don't, well, I certainly don't want to read about people that are sort of just ambling along in life, it, it sort of does, I think, um, require something either happening to them externally, which is interesting, and that's, you know, a lot of good fiction, I think, spaced around something crazy happening to someone and how they react. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other great fiction is about people that 
make decisions that change the course of their lives and then self-fulfilling or not, they're interesting people. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure those things influence me and I also really love a lot of the um, TV crime series. I always have, you know, love Law and Order, I love Olivia um, Benson and I just think, again, people that are quite obsessed with their work um, and they, don't, they can't even really quite explain why but they're so driven um, and then their personal life suffers but they almost feel like they have no control of pulling themselves away from their work, which I think is quite an interesting conundrum for for sort of people Uh, it seems so obvious to a reader but I guess there is a lot of people like that in the real world too so it happens yeah absolutely I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that you've actually referred to her as being tortured um, because I see her as being deliberately driven as well as being an introvert and when you're an introvert trapped in a world where you have to keep dealing with people by the nature of your job it's it's a nightmare an absolute nightmare. And the first book is built around the fact that being an introvert, when a murder happens in a small town, everybody knows everybody. And that becomes harder and harder. Whereas the second book, Into the Night, of course, her life is easier because she moves to a city where for an introvert you can disappear. Yeah, she she is, it is interesting. She is an introvert, I suppose. I've not really ever thought about it like that. Um, but she is also very capable and quite assertive and certainly not shy of speaking up in certain circumstances. Um, She does some things that I think some people would feel are very confident and bold, Um, but then you're right, she's very much in her own world. Um, She's quite happy to be in her own company. Um, She finds interactions with other people challenging for, you know, most of the time. So, yeah, she's. I guess that's the thing. She's not sort of binary in any way. She's not one thing or the other. Um, certain circumstances bring out certain behaviours, I think. So she is, um, yeah, a complicated creation, I suppose. Well, she reads very much. (laughs) Like to go back to your earlier point about TV characters, the one that I could most closely associate her with would be, I don't know if you've ever watched the US version of The Killing and uh, Lyndon, the character of Lyndon, who tries to be a mother but her job is everything. Yeah, I think um, I watched The Killing um, after... The Dark Lake was in edits and I did remember sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, this is such a similar kind of construct from a character perspective. Um, And then I know in the recent season of Homeland, um, Carrie, the main character, has a similar kind of um, tug of war with her responsibilities for her young daughter. Um, It is interesting. I think it just goes back to that whole notion around, you know, men can have children and can sort of seemingly ditch them and as long as they're safe with their mother everyone's kind of like well that's sort of okay whereas this um societal expectation that a mother will always put being a mother first um and should never ever ever sort of put herself in danger or put her child in danger or even potentially chase a career um over being a good mother I I think is still so ingrained in all of us men and women um, I mean, a lot of the, the reader emails I get are absolutely around that point. You get some rather um, fascinating I emails, I do. don't I get, you? I get some strange ones, oh, some interesting ones, I suppose, too. But, I mean, I don't mind. I think it's just, um, again, I find it really interesting that it elicits such a strong response in people. Um, and it really does illustrate, I think, that, yeah, we are still in a place where we really find it challenging to watch or read about female characters who are selfish and I think we're really uncomfortable with female selfishness 
um, still. And even though I think there's huge progress that's being made in all kinds of industries and in life in general, there is some really ingrained um, beliefs around roles and particularly the role of a mother. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, like I am not advocating that women should be necessarily abandoning their children or treating them badly in any way, but I do think that it's a, um, it's a pressure that is just incredibly um, evident in all kind of parts of life. And so that comes back to your guilt question. I think Gemma really struggles with the knowledge that she's being judged and then the reality of what she actually kind of wants to do and then where that puts her as a mother in the midst of all of that. The interesting thing with having a small child in the books is that that child grows because each book is usually set a couple of years after the other. Mm -hmm. And Where the Dead Go, which is the latest book in the series, you have, I think the child is at eight, an eight-year-old. And yeah. if you've ever had a child and you have two young boys, mm -hmm. They are extraordinarily blunt at that age and they hold you accountable for what you say and there is a deep honesty in those conversations that go on. So it really changes the level of interaction with Gemma throughout the story because she's held accountable for the first time by her son. Did that change the writing process or, or how you looked at her or added a new dimension to her? Yes, I think it did. Um, you're right. When children are babies or very young, um, the responsibility that you feel toward them, I think, is all in your head because they don't actually tell you that you're doing it wrong or that they want something different to what you're providing. So you can sort of, I suppose, uh, decide how they feel about it and, and wrestle with that yourself and be at peace with it if that's kind of what you decide. So I think in the second book, Gemma decides that Ben is fine without her and she feels bad but she doesn't actually worry about him particularly and she knows he's in a good safe place um, whereas I think in the third book he's sort of much older and you know eight nine-year-olds are very capable of um, expressing emotion and they're actually quite mature really so I think she really starts to be confronted by the notion that she's got a little human who is judging her as well um, and who expects things from her um, and who and who she can't lie to anymore. Like she kind of has to be fairly honest with him. So, yeah, that did bring, I think, a new dimension to not only the story but her reaction and decision-making. She doesn't make great decisions in the third book either, but I think she's, um, she's very aware of his judgment as well as everybody else's. For as much as at times he judges her, he's also naturally, he adores her and he stands up for her. I've heard that your own son is quite effective at standing up for you with poor reviews. Is this true? <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they get the star system. So they, they totally <laughs> understand five-star versus one-star ratings. And so occasionally they'll look up my books on Goodreads and they'll they'll be really like annoyed if someone's given me a one-star review. They're like, oh, that's just so, that's so ridiculous, you know. Um, that person doesn't know anything and I'm like oh well that's you know they have an opinion it's fine so um yeah they they, they kind of understand that part of it um but yeah I mean they haven't read the books obviously at this point but um, I'm hopeful that they'll read them someday um but yeah they can be quite um I think it's more competitiveness though than it is actually necessarily defending me they right. just like the idea of five stars right <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, what age do you think they would be or should be before they start reading your books? Because part of your narrative has been, of course, that you read The Godfather at nine years old. And that's the kind of story that a publicist adores and says, <laughs> keep telling me, as though it's inspired all your crime writing to date. Um, what stories did you read um, at a younger age that really you think shaped your love of reading, not so much the writing, but the love of reading? Oh, look, I read everything. I really did. I read all of the standard sort of Enid Blyton books series. I read all of the Anne of Green Gables series from a young age. I loved Nancy Drew. I loved um, Sweet Valley High. I loved um, Patricia Cornwell's, you know, cold case mysteries and forensic um, stories. C- can I just interrupt and say Everything. that is quite a jump from Sweet Valley High to Patricia Cornwell. Well, there's, there's you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think all books... Um, I don't know. I just think reading is, you know, the best possible thing that you can do as a kid. And I'm I'm quite liberal with my own kids in that way. I really wouldn't mind much what they did read. If they really wanted to read my book, I, I kind of, well, I mean, the youngest one probably wouldn't. But I, I don't, I think books are different from um, TV and movies. Um, I think it's, it's a great thing to be able to get lost in a world. And I think you can read a, a lot older than you are. Um, if you don't understand it, then it'll just go over your head anyway. And if you do understand it, then I think you're obviously ready for it. So um, I'm fairly sort of open with with what they would read. But yeah, for me, I kind of read everything I could get my hands on. I did read The Godfather at a very young age. I read The Hobbit at a really young age as well. Um, and I think all of those things were part of me loving books. I'm not sure what sort of... Um, how, which ones shape my writing particularly? But I think if you're a lover of books, then you you know are sort of more likely to be interested in writing one. Mm-hmm. You said ideas are easy, but execution is often the the, the difficult part of writing. Why is that? Uh, I mean, I come up with ideas constantly. So many ideas, most of them will never turn into anything. But um, it's the structure of having to take that idea and and wrestle it into the written form and to maintain it. I think the really difficult thing about writing a book is not the pitch sort of part of the the premise or coming up with the one snappy line that sort of hooks people in. It's the how do you maintain that and how do you make it interesting? How do you manage it over 110 odd thousand words? How do you um, create characters that are going to best bring that idea to life? Um, So, I mean, I find not only do I come up with sort of ideas for books pretty easily, but I also, while I'm writing a book, come up with good ideas for scenes, what you know, that are coming. But even then I still have to wrestle with the words to get that into a chapter or to work out how to bring it to life. So, yeah, it's the translating from the, the head to the page that I find quite difficult. It's not that I, I never get writer's block. I don't ever not have ideas or even particularly get stuck it's just how to how to make it work in a in a book that i find quite tricky were you aware of how important this idea of the study of grief started to inform each book was it something conscious or is it just more that it occurred after the dark lake i'd love to say that it was really strategic but it wasn't really um i think the first book no it was just a pure writing experience where I didn't really think about anything. I just wrote the story that was in my head. Um, With the second book, I definitely did want to juxtapose 
it against the first one, both from a location perspective and Gemma's um, going from sort of this familiar place that she'd grown up to a completely unfamiliar um, city where she knew no one. So I really wanted to have that contrast. It's a very deliberate decision to break away from all of the four. Yeah, it felt like to evolve that character she needed to leave that environment so that for me was sort of non-negotiable um and i liked the idea of her being in this big city because you know she's very very unworldly she's never traveled anywhere so for her moving to melbourne was like someone else moving to new york it was an incredibly sort of jarring experience for her so that was important to me and i think from a kind of grief perspective I wanted to also contrast in the first book, as you said, the the sort of murder of a much-loved or well-known person in that small, close-knit community and, and the sort of impact that has. Um, and then in the second book, I guess there was the comparison between the murdered homeless man um, and the sort of forgettable, disposable nature of that story um, in contrast with the high-profile celebrity death, which sort of takes on a life of its own. And even if those two people, you would never have met them either way. You do feel this incredible attachment to the celebrity, which is really just a result of having their face imprinted millions of times on, you know, gossip websites and things like that. But, um, yeah, I liked the contrast of that um, scenario playing out. I think that was sort of, for me, really interesting to explore. And then in the third book, I guess I always said to myself that with the third book, Gemma had finally gotten her life pretty much on track and then something happened to her that was out of her control. Whereas in the first two books, she was sort of the the maker of her own mess in many ways. So that was kind of something that I was quite keen to look into in the third book. Um, I'm wondering if it was a bit of a risk for you, though, when you did the second book, the sequel, because originally you hadn't intended for The Dark Lake to be part of a series. Um, it was written as a standalone, but the publishers in the US, and this, you know, The Dark Lake has been phenomenally successful, published all around the world, um, they asked for a sequel. Were they expecting, though, for it to be another outback noir? Because your book was published just on the cusp of that sort of tsunami Army of Outback Noir, Bush Noir stories, uh, things like the dry breaking globally everywhere. Mm -hmm. So was that a bit of a, a risk for them and yourself to suddenly say, no, no, I'm going to go into a city and just make it almost like a law and order? Yeah, I think, I think it probably was a risk, but I was really fortunate in that no one ever seemed to get too involved in the decision to do that, which was in hindsight really quite fortunate. So I just started writing the book. I didn't consult with anybody. I just sort of decided, I guess, that that's what the character needed to do. I'd probably written about half when I had a pretty good chat to my publisher about it and I sort of said to her, so this is sort of what happens. And, yeah, she's she was amazing. She sort of said, that sounds great, really interesting, um, looking forward to reading it. And so I think they let me run pretty wild really and, um, yeah, I guess I'm just really lucky that they that they liked it. Um, I, look, I, you know, I, I guess you can never go back and, and do the other way. Um, I could have definitely kept her in the town and had another uh, case that, you know, monopolised her time. I think it would have been fine. But I think for me her growth would have been less um, interesting. I think that taking her out of that environment was a real uh, imp really important part of her development and also 
it meant that she she really did leave her child, which I guess for me was something that that character had to do and um, it wouldn't have been as believable if she had have just sort of left him but was still in the town. It sort of wouldn't have been quite as dramatic. So Two blocks away. Yeah. And also I suppose you also run that midsummer murders risk where the town suddenly becomes the most dangerous place in on earth yeah. because everybody keeps dying. There. I think that's, yeah. I mean, look, obviously a lot of series do that. And if you are a detective, you are going to be exposed to whatever it is in the in the area you work that is the worst of that area. So it's not unbelievable if you're in a detective homicide kind of role. But, yeah, I think for me I thought it might stretch the the sort of fictional bounds a little bit too much, um, whereas the idea of yeah, pushing her into a metro city, you know, anything can happen. There's all kinds of stuff going on all the time. So um, that felt kind of a bit more interesting. I'm intrigued by the fact that when um, the latest book has been released, the publicity pieces around it suggested that it's the final book for Gemma Woodstock. Uh, is that, it seems odd to announce that, but also isn't that true? I think it is true. I don't know. It's sort of one of those things that, yeah, there was always planned to be three. Uh, well, that's not true. There was a plan to be one and then there was a plan to be a second um, and then everyone agreed on a third and that's sort of where it's ended at this point. So I'm not writing another Gemma book at the moment. Um, I don't know if at some point in the future that might be a possibility, but for now that's it. Um I sort of have an idea of what happens to her, but um, that's just in my head at the moment. So, yeah, I think um, who knows? I guess you you never know Um, and it would also depend on a lot of other things apart from me just wanting to write it. Someone would want to publish it. So we'll we'll see. You never know. Do you think there's a chance to make it more of a broader world of which she exists in, sort of like what Michael Robotham has done previously where his lead character may just turn up briefly in another book as he introduces other stories, other characters, other series? Is that something that interests you down the line or are you really looking to take a break and do something very different? Um, no, it does interest me. Um, I think, uh, you know, the books are all written in the first person, so it is an incredibly um, close experience with that character. You really have to be in her head with these books. You don't have a choice. So whether or not there's a fourth book that, that would warrant that sort of um, relationship with the reader, I don't know, but I can definitely see um, potential in having Gemma in, in a book but not necessarily being the main protagonist and not necessarily um, having the book run from her point of view. So, yeah, I'd love to explore something like that one day. But I do sort of feel at the moment like a an end, an end point um, with this third book. It sort of felt like a good place to end for me. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, I'm working on something quite different at the moment with completely different characters. So that's been quite challenging actually to slip into a new world and to kind of navigate all these new people and what they like and what they don't like. Has it also been refreshing because you are stepping out of the first person of the of Gemma's head because I mean Gemma's head is very busy. Yeah um I don't know like I I never found being in her head that um harrowing I mean people often ask me they say oh how do you write about crime it must be you must sort of get have to, have to get away from your desk and really sort of, you know, de- re- recalibrate. And I'm like, nope, I just stop writing and do something else. I, I don't find it a very emotional well, I guess or intense experience, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I guess it's, <laughs> again, that disassociation that you talked about earlier, which is the ability to sit down, write for several hours and then step away and get yeah. on with the rest of your life as yeah, well. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't um, affect me in that sense. I can, I can jump from 
writing for an hour to doing something completely different within seconds. I don't have to sort of have any um, decompression time or, or sort of anything like that. Um, I just, yeah, I can get into it and out of it fairly quickly. Um, but, yeah, writing something new has been um, good, but it is there's – there's a lack of comfort in, um, you know, I guess not having the characters that I can sort of fall back on because I'm familiar with them. So all these new people have to be figured out and that is quite um, – it just takes a while, I think, to get into the rhythm and to sort of orient yourself in, in their world. Um, so it's been really fun. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, you know, writing all the Gemma books um, most, most of the time. So um, it's just different, I think. Now that you're part of the crime writing community, you've had an opportunity to really talk to some fascinating people and some extremely successful people. And I think it was earlier this year, in February 2019, you're on stage with Linda LaPlante. Is this correct? That's true, yes. What, what was that experience like? And what do you think you learnt or got from those conversations that you had with her? Oh, I mean, she's like a runaway freight train. Like she's absolutely hectic. Um, so it was an experience for sure. Being on stage with her was... Uh, quite chaotic. Um, I had quite a lot of questions planned out. I got to most of them, but she really sort of takes the conversation in the direction that she wants to take it. Um, I mean, I think it's it's funny. Every time I meet another author, you realise just how much everyone's kind of just muddling through, hoping for the best. Um, I think some people are so disciplined. Some people are completely not disciplined. Some people are super confident. Some people aren't. It's it's kind of really quite a mixed bag. It's not a not as sort of um, characteristic as oriented as I think I thought it probably was. Um, and I guess I'm also a bit out of the mold in the sense that I'm not creative. Like my day job is quite um, business oriented. So even though I'm in a creative field, I sort of don't feel like a wallowing artist. I just kind of quickly get on with it and then get to work so it's I think everyone is coming at it from quite different angles um but yeah someone like Linda I mean just a master in terms of she's still so ambitious um I think she's written you know over 35 books and many tv screenplays and all kinds of things and she is gunning for more she doesn't want to stop she's got all these ideas she told me in her head that she still wants to write um so she's inspiring in that way um but in a way I have to admit that having met her the thought of her sitting still and writing a book for however many hours that would take doesn't, doesn't, seem doesn't seem sort of to be like something that would come out of that person because she's sort of frenetic and energetic and um, yeah, quite mad in terms of the storytelling and the she's very extroverted. So yeah, I think everyone is comes at it from quite a different angle. How appealing is it to perhaps like Linda, who's taken real control of her career at a business level as well as a creative level, for you to move into that space? I mean, because Linda really has, she's set up her own production team. She's brought, as you said, many, many miniseries and TV series to the screen. Is that something that also interests you beyond just writing books at the moment? Because, I mean, you've had things like The Dark Lake was optioned by Hopscotch Films when it was first published. Um is that something that you want to go into using your professional experience to move more into that creative space? I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess. I'm pretty open to whatever opportunities might come my way. I wouldn't say no to anything at this stage. I don't really think screenwriting's something that I would look at doing. I don't think I'm particularly good at it. Um, I'd love to try it. I don't know. I just think it's. I know that it is a really different craft. So I'm. I'm very respectful of the fact that 
you can't just kind of jump from one to the other and it'll be easy. So I think um, I think it would be difficult. Um, I wouldn't say I would never give it a shot, but I'm not sort of working on a secret script or anything like that. Um, I'd love to collaborate potentially at some point with another writer on some kind of project. I kind of am quite fascinated about the idea of creating something in a partnership. I think that would be quite cool. Do you think you'd work well with others? Yeah, I think so because I'm very used to that at work too. I mean, I think that advertising is really collaborative. You basically, you don't really do anything on your own to some extent. You have to work with other people. So I don't have a problem with the sort of group work or partnership kind of model. Um, but I think uh, what I would miss uh, what I would miss about advertising is the people management. I really, really enjoy um, working with teams of people, managing teams of people, and in writing you do that not at all. So last year when I was working a little bit less, I definitely missed that um, office environment, people management, um, working with people to sort of get the best out of them and work out what they want to do in the future and help navigate them toward that. Um, I like dealing with clients and client problems and helping them, um, again, sort of, I guess, navigate toward the best solution. So, um, yeah, I think I think what Linda's done is interesting to me because she has kind of created that teamwork world within the writing kind of piece, so that would be quite cool. But, um, yeah, I think if it was just a choice about just, just writing full time and never sort of working again in a traditional sense, I'm not sure. I think I would miss too many elements of that and I wonder if it – might affect my writing in a not positive way. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think that one helps drive the other or one benefits the other? I think so. I, I mean, the time juggle is not helpful. Um, so there is some weeks where one suffers, um, I guess. Um, but ultimately, yes, I do think that the energy I get from work um, overall is a benefit to my writing. It seems really unique to be able to say to a published author who's been very, very successful, don't give up your day job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, look, who knows what's going to happen in the future. I suppose I'm kind of pretty much just year by year at this stage. But, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying both at the moment. So I guess that's that's the answer for now. Well, Sarah, it's been lovely to talk to you today. And I'm, I'm really genuinely fascinated about what comes post Gemma Woodstock because <laughs> Me too. You, you've given no hints at all. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming in and talking to me today. I really appreciate it. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sarah. And you can find all of Sarah's books in stores and online right now. You can also follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Bailey 1982 and you can follow us at ConversationsWW. Next month, our conversation will be stepping away from the crime genre and is set to be crossing the streams of cinema, literature and the stage. This has been James Rickards for Conversations with Writers. Thank you very much for listening.